2: Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you for the next three hours, carrying you into your Tuesday evening, getting you through the rest of the workday. Glad to have you along for the ride. It feels like there is an obligatory joke about a lack of snow that should be made right out of the gate. Borky, you're in
3: Jackson. Did you get actual snow? Yeah, and what's funny is, well, technically... I live in Madison, and like seven miles south of me, just across the... Oh, no, the re- you,
2: you are, by the way, officially now a Jacksonian, because you just corrected somebody for saying you lived in Jackson well, when you don't well, actually live in Jackson. No,
3: I'm giving you a geographical thing here. So so, I live in, in Madison, and seriously, it's like seven miles just across the re- reservoir. One of my good friends lives. He's got a Brandon address, but it's literally just off of the spillway. Uh, on the Rankin side, okay. didn't get one speck of snow. Yeah, and my entire yard and house and street and stuff was covered. Just a few miles north, so we
0: got it, but it melted by about nine thirty.
2: Hey,
3: Dad, you're in Starkville.
2: What was the uh, the, the snow situation there?
0: Uh, it was non-existent. My my kids enjoyed their their day off from school because it was sort of cold.
2: Yeah. The Mississippi State went early with the closing of the Starkville and Meridian campuses yesterday, I think it was.
0: Yeah. And then Starkville Starkville School District was not far behind them. Okay. And uh, I came home. My kids were pumped. They were like, we're getting the day off from school, plus there's going to be snow. And uh, they woke up this morning to to green grass outside the house.
2: My my kids got frustrated with me this morning, um, which happens on a semi-regular basis. Uh, They... (laughs) were hopeful that there was going to be snow. I said yesterday on the radio, I said, I'm having a little bit of trouble with the forecast because I'm looking at the hour-by-hour hour forecast, and as best I can tell, the rain gets out about midnight, and there's no prediction of any more precipitation, and it doesn't actually drop below freezing until well after midnight. So how is it exactly... That we're going to get snow in North Mississippi, which turned out to be the case. I will give the school district, Oxford School District, I guess Lafayette as well, credit where uh, where we are. They just went with a two-hour delayed start. So my kids were frustrated because when they got up this morning, the first thing I looked at them and said was in like the uh, the voice from Frozen, "Do you want to build a snowman?" And then I kept singing that to them all morning long and. They didn't think it was very funny. You're just mean. (laughs) Rippy chuckled, by the way. I was just going to say, Rippy did chuckle, by the way, when I made the reference to, uh, actually, I live in Madison. (laughs) That's the most Jackson thing you have ever said, Michael Borky. I was only
3: doing it for geographic purposes. I mean, Mm -hmm. we rent. I believe you.
2: Said, hey, Borky, you live in Jackson. Did it snow? Well, actually, I live in Madison. (sighs)
3: And it did snow where we were. Don't paint me like that.
2: (laughs) Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. If you had bought a piece of land and Mississippi Land Bank had done your financing and it had actually snowed, do you know how cool it would be to have your own place to go sled? Or to build a snowman? (laughs) If you had wanted to do that. Uh, Mississippi Land Bank can help you if uh, you're in the market for land, if you're going to build a dream home, maybe put a cabin on a piece of property or a shop, whatever it is that you want to do. They've been financing land for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Check out their website. You can find a branch location near you in North Mississippi. Um, Branch locations spread out across the entire northern part of the state. Or grab the phone line. Uh, The phone number on that website and give them a call. So, hey, Dad, here in about an hour and a half, you are headed to T Town, correct?
0: Yep, headed to Tuscaloosa uh, for Mississippi State versus Alabama basketball. Tip off is at seven thirty. You excited? I am. I think this the, the the game on Saturday. You know, gave me a little energy about MSU basketball. You know, they they played really well against. I know Auburn's, they're in a bit of a slide right now, but they have a lot of talent. And when they get Austin Wiley back, and they will, they're a good team. They're a tournament team. And I thought State played really well in that game. So, yeah, Alabama's an interesting matchup because, as you said last week, they're such a, a physically imposing team. But I think, I think they are a team that State can match up well with. And just depending on what Alabama you get, you know, you have a good chance to go over to Coleman Coliseum and get what uh, looks on paper to be a good road win.
2: Yeah, certainly would be a good road win. Help me figure something out. So we've talked about the reasons we think that the attendance hasn't been very good at Humphrey Coliseum. Yeah. And part of the reason is, well, you know, a lot of times you got to decide are you going to go to the women's game or are you going to go to the men's game? And a lot of people are going to the women's game. And on Sunday against Ole Miss in the women's game, there was a crowd of over 10,000. You told me last week, I didn't realize it, that Saturday night's game against Auburn And it was a later tip-off, was sold out. Crowd looked great, and my assumption is made a difference in that. What was it about Saturday night against Auburn that was like the tipping point, hey, let's fill this place up and create an incredible home court advantage?
0: I don't know what the tipping point was. I don't know what the motivation was, other than maybe people finally just said, look, this is a a ranked basketball team. We've gotten back to the point where we're, we're expecting to be in the tournament. And if people, uh, you know, if you're making the weekend trip, you're going to go ahead and be up here for the weekend anyway to see the, the ladies. Why not go see the men as well? Um, it was interesting talking to Coach, uh, I don't know her full name. I just know that y'all call her Coach Yo up there at, at Ole Miss. And she said she hates it when uh, the men play the night before the women because he f- she feels like it does affect their attendance. So we asked Schaefer about that. he said, doesn't affect my attendance. So I thought that was <laughs> funny. But... but but yeah, it was, it was it was a really good crowd and you know, and I like I said, I told you on Friday, I was like, it's a sellout. But I think I was of the uh, belief that, you know, okay, it's a sellout, but we'll see if maybe they'll have eight thousand. That thing was packed. There was there was ten thousand plus there, and, and you're right. They made a, a big difference in the uh the second half when State and Auburn were going back and forth before the Bulldogs were finally able to just take control of the game. Yeah, you'll
2: let McPhee McEwen Coach Yo is a whole lot easier. It uh, sure certainly, is. Uh, yeah, you know the hyphenated hyphenated last name. Um, she was really complimentary of the the crowd and the environment and kind of what Vic Schaefer's created. In, yeah, or at least in the she, quotes that that I read.
0: That, that that team looks a lot better than they did a year ago. I get the feeling that she's gonna she's gonna do well there. Although she had a very interesting comment on her way out the door. Rippy, she said as, as she left, she was like, "Thank y'all. Y'all aren't that bad." To all the MSU media assembled. So what are y'all saying about us up there, huh? That that's my question.
4: I have had a total of, I think, zero conversations
2: <laughs> with Coach Joe. So
0: Some somebody's yeah. talking about us up there, and I don't like it. Oh,
2: well, maybe it was just a general comment. Maybe it wasn't anything actually. <laughs> maybe she was just specific. talking to
0: me. I don't know.
2: Could be. So we uh, we got a bunch to get to with you this afternoon. A ton of baseball conversation. Our first Chat of the year with Eric Sorensen from College Baseball today. D1 Baseball. We'll talk with him about the upcoming college baseball season that begins two weeks from Friday. Missouri is the team that is next up on our countdown to the start of the college baseball season. Baseball America has reached, uh, released its preseason All Americans. So we'll uh, get a look at the first, second, and third team All Americans from Baseball America. Yes, there is representation from Mississippi State, from Southern Miss, and from Ole Miss on those three teams. So we'll get to that coming up as well. Uh, Dive a little deeper on Mississippi State and Alabama. What's got to happen in that one tonight for Mississippi State to get a win on the road? What about the net rankings? Where is everybody in the SEC? How many teams legitimately have a chance as we're not quite to the halfway point of the conference season to find themselves in the big dance. And what else is happening tonight in the SEC? Four games tonight in the SEC, including the number one team in the country, on the road. Borky asks the question, is the transfer portal actually improving college football? We'll dive into that later. Plus, the NCAA is punishing a college basketball player. Does the punishment... Fit the alleged crime, and uh, I think Borky also is desperate to talk about Anthony Davis.
3: I gotta get the the talking out somewhere, man. It's uh, it's driving me nuts. So if I'll talk we about it. if we have time, I would like to get to it at some point. Not priority number one, two, or three, though. Is I that can't fair? promise that we'll have time. But <laughs> hey, hey, I understand. <laughs> I, I have I have perspective on this. It just. If we run out of content today and there's a little time to throw some please, please, please trade him to Boston conversation, then, <laughs> <laughs> then we can do that. Something tells uh, me that hey, am I'm, I'm wants sad
0: a little different that. outcome. Yeah, I'm sad I'm going to miss that conversation.
2: Just getting started with you. You can text the show ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. The C Spire text line ceasefire. Customer inspired. You can also tweet the show at Sports Talk M I S S the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. Let's dive in and talk a little more Mississippi State Alabama. Seven thirty tonight at Coleman Coliseum in Tuscaloosa. We'll do that when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you.
4: Feeling a Friday's hammer spark. Yeah, I'm looking for some action and it's out there somewhere. You can feel the
1: electricity all in the evening air. And it
4: may just be Stock
2: Mississippi with same. you Tuesday afternoon. See Spire Text line 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Richard and Wiggins points out that hey, hey dad decided to show up to work today.
3: And yet he's leaving early.
0: I'm still going to work though. <laughs> so yeah. I, I did listen to a few minutes of the show yesterday. Richard, were people being derogatory about you towards about your weight? About your appearance? He was getting fat shamed yesterday. That's, yeah, that's Greg
2: and Nettleton pointed out uh, that he watched some of the South Carolina Oklahoma State broadcast on ESPNU on Saturday, this game that I was doing. Right. And that uh, I think his words were, "I had the makings of a double chinner coming on, and that uh, I needed to avoid fast food when on the road."
0: Well, I'll tell you, the next time we're together, we'll take a bunch of photos together, and everybody will be talking about how thin you look. So don't worry about that. I got your back.
2: <laughs> I didn't. Um, I didn't take any great offense to what Greg said. I think he meant it lovingly. Yeah.
0: yeah In no, fact, I'm, yeah, that's that's how it starts.
2: The. Um, the, the sweet, one of the sweetest ladies that I've ever known. She didn't remember this when I reminded her of it not too terribly long ago. Miss um, Corbeil, who I have gone to church with since I was eight years old and is direct and funny and witty. And she's not in as good a health as she used to be. But we were at church one Sunday morning and I had on a coat and tie. And, uh, she kind of walked up to me and she reached up and she kind of grabbed like right there at the base of my neck, kind of uh, like. Not that, like uh, the jaw, like the bone that's like right underneath your jaw, kind of right there at the base of your neck. She kind of grabbed it and pinched it a little bit, and she said, Richard, I don't think you need to put on any more weight. <laughs> and she smiled, and I said, yes, ma'am. So I've gotten that b- the before. Yes. Yeah. Lovingly, both times, I think. So uh, anyway, yeah, we had, uh, had fun with that. What's a crowd gonna be like tonight in Tuscaloosa? That's a building that when it's full can be pretty tough to play in, but a crowd of I don't know, ten or eleven thousand in Coleman Coliseum leaves a bunch of empty seats.
0: Yeah. Well let me ask Rippy. Rippy, what was the crowd like last weekend when or last week when Ole Miss was there? Seats fifteen thousand.
4: It was it was honestly kind of dead at the beginning, but it filled in okay. Mm-hmm. Like, by the end of the game, I didn't think it was too bad. It certainly wasn't full or any close. Yeah. Anywhere I, mean, I, close. Don't,
0: I, I just, just just, my line of thinking is, you know, Alabama basketball, not that big a deal. They lost on Saturday. You know, I, I don't think it'll be a pack to the rafters kind of crowd or anything. And I don't know how many people are coming over from, from Mississippi or, or, you know, in that area to, to watch uh, for Mississippi State. But I imagine it'll be, you know, a crowd that, if I were describing, it would be decent, decent crowd, yeah. something like that.
2: Wasn't I mean? Isn't it like the the thing of legends that Mississippi State team that went undefeated on the road and had a chance to win the regular season the SEC? Mm-hmm. Mississippi State they played in Tuscaloosa on a Saturday and took like yeah I was there like four thousand people or something like oh, that some crazy there were number a
0: ton there was a lot of maroon at Coleman Coliseum that day for sure for sure for to watch one of the most improbable comebacks I've ever seen. Hmm.
2: Well, I had plenty to cheer about on that particular day. You mentioned this being a big game for uh, for Mississippi State. I think, conversely, it's a really big game for Alabama. I mean, you saw last week when they played Ole Miss what that team is capable of when they're really locked in. And I think there are a couple of teams that fall into that category in the SEC. I think LSU, even sitting there undefeated, LSU to me looks vulnerable if they're not really locked in defensively but the talent is unquestionable. I think Alabama to a certain degree kind of fits that category. When they play, you know, Avery Johnson pointed out five guys diving on the floor and he had never seen that since he had been at Alabama in that game last week against Ole Miss. If they play like that, Alabama's a scary matchup.
0: Yeah. I think the same can be said for Mississippi State though when they when they play like they played Saturday night and they're locked in and, and you know, for State it's more about being locked in on the offensive side of the ball, I think, um, because they get good effort defensively most nights. Uh, but offensively, you know, if the threes aren't falling and they're not taking it, you know, to the rim like they did on Saturday when, when in the second half that the three, the three-pointer dried up a little bit. Uh, Lamar Peters and Quindary Weatherspoon started going, attacking the basket and, and dishing the ball off to Reggie Perry and, and Eric Holman and Abdullah for for dunks. When state's locked in on that side of the ball, they're a great team to watch. A lot of fun. So and that that said, we could have a really good matchup tonight if both teams are are locked in. So yeah, I think it is a big game for both teams. This is a game that you know somebody's going to be able to circle when we get to the, the middle of March and say that was a good road win, or if, if you're Mississippi State, or you know they did a good job defending their home court against a ranked Mississippi State team. If you're Alabama, so yeah, th- this. This stretch for MSU, every game is sort of a big game. I mean, you got this one, then you're at Ole Miss, then you have LSU, then you have Kentucky. You need to find a way to win these games and start piling up some wins and start building some momentum for the stretch run, which is getting closer and closer.
2: So, in the next two games, based on the current net rankings, Mississippi State has two Quadrant One opportunities, because they're both road games. Alabama currently at number 43 in the net. Uh, because they're top 70, that would count as a Quadrant One road win, and then Ole Miss currently at 36 in the net as well. Excuse me, so again, an opportunity for a Quadrant One road win. We have reached the point of the season where you really start looking at resume and building the resume. So, hey, dead Mississippi State sitting at 3-3 three and three in the league with 12 conference games remaining, 15-5 and five overall. It feels... I mean, I don't know if there's a number anymore. You know, that for so long, if you got to 20 wins, you were likely an NCAA tournament team. Right. But we've seen in recent years that not all 20-win seasons are created equally, and sometimes you can win 17, but if it's the right 17, you can get into the tournament. Or you can win 23, but if it's not the right 23, you might find yourself on the outside looking in. Do you think there's a number right now for Mississippi State that is... Okay, if you get this many, it's a lock. You know you're in the dance.
0: Well, I would look at it in terms of, of conference record. I, I think if state finishes nine and nine in the SEC, so that would put them at 21 wins. I yeah. would feel pretty confident about their ability to get into the NCAA tournament. Okay. Um, at nine and nine, you know you you should be in the top 50 of net, maybe even higher than that. You've got you'll have some good wins in there. I mean, it, it probably I guess it wouldn't matter. You know, they'd like to win in this stretch of four games that I just discussed. They'd like to win at least one and maybe two of those. If, if you can be 500 at the end of this four-game stretch, if you're five and five in the SEC, I think you're going to finish above 500 because the schedule does get a little bit easier, despite that that tricky uh, twofer at the end of March, where you go, or I guess the beginning of March, when you go to t- Tennessee and Auburn back to back. But 9-9 nine and nine in the SEC, I think State would be in. I mean, you think they were 9-9 nine and nine last year, and they were definitely a bubble team. And had they been better in the non-conference, they probably would have gotten in. They were better in the non-conference this year. They bumped up that schedule. They really they really made it stronger. I think that would be good enough to get in.
2: We were looking yesterday at the old Miss schedule and kind of broke it down with, with the remaining games and, like, sections of, okay, four games, five games, three games. I think you can do that with Mississippi State. This next four, to your point just a second ago, and if you're trying to get to nine and nine, then you got to get six. So yeah. at Alabama, at Ole Miss, host LSU, host Kentucky. You said you'd love to get to two and two. Let's just call it one okay. in the next four.
0: So you're four and six.
2: So you're four and six. To me, the next five games are wildly important. Mm-hmm. Alabama at home, mm-hmm. Arkansas on the road, Georgia on the road. South Carolina at home, Missouri at home. You got to go minimum one one games, four and one. Yeah, in I those five games.
0: If, if you are, if you're four and especially if you're four and six, I would say you want to be five, four and one of those games, regardless of what happens in this stretch.
3: I
2: would agree.
0: But, but yeah, if you're if you're four and one in that stretch, you're going to feel really good about where you are going into the month of March. I think.
3: Well,
2: and, and so so if you do that, let's say you go one and three and then 4 and 1 that leaves 3 games you're 8 and 7 going into the final 3 games of the regular season. Probably a road loss at Auburn, probably a road loss at Tennessee. Now you're 8 and 9, you got Texas A&M on the Saturday at home to close out the regular season and a chance to win a ninth league game. If if everything goes exactly according to this scenario, which it never does. Right. But that's but just a road map to get to 9 and 9. That you don't really have to stretch. That's winning the games you're supposed to win, losing the games that on paper you're supposed to lose, and nothing in between.
0: My guess is if we looked at the analytics, if we looked at the Ken Palm, that they would probably predict State to do a little bit better than that. I think my guess is I think you said last week that State is actually a favorite at Ole Miss on uh, on Saturday, or even if they aren't, they, that might have changed in the last you know couple of days. They were a favorite against LSU, and then well, that that, that five game stretch they're going to be favored in almost all those games.
2: All right, so here's what Ken Palm says. L- only one game different than what we just talked, just based on the percentages game by game. Mm-hmm. Alabama, Ole Miss, and Kentucky are favored to win, but all of them close. Mississippi mm-hmm. State favored against LSU, so that's one and three in those four games. Okay. The following five games, Mississippi State favored in all five of those. So we said four and one in those five. You go five and O oh, in five that you're favored in. And then the final three games an underdog against Auburn and Tennessee and then a heavy favorite against Texas A&M. So there you go. So so we're only off by one, but that one could be big. I mean, that's the difference in 10 and 8 versus 9 and 9 in the SEC. Yeah. You're sitting on 22 wins overall going into the SEC tournament. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. <laughs> You have Mississippi State and Alabama tonight in basketball. Three other games on the hardwood in the SEC. Mississippi State is a one-and-a-half-point underdog on the road to Alabama. And that actually kind of lines up with Ken Palm that we were talking about just a moment ago. Ken Palm gives Alabama a 52% chance to win the game with a final score prediction of 75-74. to 74. You think Vegas consults Ken Palm when they're setting lines?
0: Possibly. You never know. You never know what analytics they're looking at.
2: So, it Tennessee is an. Homework out there. Yeah, is an eight and a half point favorite on the road at South Carolina. Would you care to guess the final score is predicted by Ken Palm?
0: Eight and a half. I'm going to say 75 64.
2: Eighty-four, seventy-two. Think it's going to be a little higher-scoring game. You are giving it credit for. South Carolina trying to bounce back from a road loss at uh, at West Virginia, or excuse me, not at West Virginia, at Oklahoma State over the weekend. Uh, so Tennessee, an eight and a half point favorite at South Carolina. Arkansas is a seven and a half point favorite at home tonight against Georgia. Kentucky, a nine and a half point favorite on the road against Vanderbilt. Tomorrow night, you got Ole Miss at Florida, Missouri at Auburn, and LSU at Texas A&M. Um, all right, so the, the latest net rankings, and, and I don't want to just bombard you with numbers. To me, the conversation here is how many teams in the SEC legitimately have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Currently, the net rankings have Tennessee at 5, Kentucky at 8. LSU at sixteen, Auburn at twenty-five, Mississippi State twenty-six, Ole Miss thirty-six, Florida thirty-eight, Alabama forty-three, Arkansas sixty-nine, Missouri at eighty-one, Georgia at eighty-seven, Vandy at ninety-four, and trending in the wrong direction. A and M at one o seven, and South Carolina at one eleven. All right, so hey, Dad, no debate. Not only is Tennessee in. If it started today, they would be a one seed. Yeah. Kentucky would probably be a two seed at this point LSU's interesting to me they just kind of eased into the top 25 this week they're sitting at number 16 in the net and I feel like for whatever reason people still don't believe in LSU why do you think That's,
0: that is I, I, well first off you know they, they're sort of uh don't want to say like a new guy on the block or anything but they you know they, they weren't ranked to start the season. And then they had some losses in the non-conference. And and with Power 5 teams, a lot of times when you have multiple non-conference losses, people just go ahead and write you off at that point. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. If you lose two or three games before we get to January, a lot of teams are just like, all right, they're just not any good. You know, and that's certainly been the case for, you know, for a lot of, for a lot of teams, not just LSU. And so I think, you know, the fact that they've gotten hot recently, uh, but they haven't played Kentucky, they haven't played Tennessee, they haven't played Mississippi State yet. They beat Ole Miss. So maybe there's just a little bit of, you know, just how good are they we'll really? And, and we'll find out. Find out, well, you know, when we get to uh, when they play some of these better teams.
4: They're good when they want to defend. I mean, I, yeah. it's one of those things where if you watched them when they played well, which that night against Ole Miss, they played really, really well. Like, you can see how good they are. You could see them being a second weekend tournament team. But it's not always like that. Like, if you watch that Missouri game this weekend where they didn't have much interest in defending for probably almost 30, 30, 32 minutes of that game. And, I mean, they were.
2: Maybe what? 37 minutes. They were down 14 with a minute 45 to go.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, they, they. towards I would say the last six minutes of that game, they started playing better, but Missouri was still running pretty good offense late. And then, really, those last. Three minutes is when they kind of really held them and started scoring. Missouri kind of threw up on themselves a little. But point being is, like, they don't always bring it. And I think that's what you could t- hear Will Wade talk about that in his Ole Miss post game. He was kind of frustrated about that. I don't remember who they played before then, but they didn't play very well in a win and practiced, I believe, the night they got to Oxford the day before and kind of worked on some stuff defensively.
2: They were coming off an overtime road win at Arkansas, so still undefeated in the league. The three losses for LSU this year. Florida State down in Orlando in a neutral site game, and they should have won it, absolutely should have won that game. They lost 79-76 in overtime. And then they compounded it two days later with a loss to Oklahoma State, a team that's now 9-11 and on the year. And then their third loss is to Houston, who is 20-1 on the year and is now ranked in the top ten. And just, oh, by the way, programming note, coming up ESPN2 on Thursday night, Houston hosting Temple. Temple is the only team that has beaten Houston all season long. Nice plug. What? Where are you going to be Thursday? Oh, I'm going to be in Houston. Shameless. I didn't mention that. Rippy mentioned that. Yeah, but
3: there was no other reason to mention that other than... If you're interested in uh, checking Uh, that out,
2: uh, 6 (laughs) o'clock on ESPN2. Uh Uh-huh brand new for that's going to be a great atmosphere actually. Uh it'll be a lot of fun. Um all right, so who else? Guys, Tennessee, yes. Kentucky, yes. LSU is an NCAA tournament team, right? No doubt.
3: If you're asking yeah. who gets in or who has a shot because I think the the shot well, stops at Alabama. I think Arkansas, it's too late for Arkansas. they, they will the, the metrics won't favor Arkansas even if they go on a little run here. Being almost seventy in the net is not going to help them if they use it the way they used the RPI. So it stops at Alabama, and even them right now are probably on the outside looking in.
4: I disagree with Borky, but I kind of agree. I think Arkansas, if they did go on a run, there's enough time to make up enough ground to make to get an at-large bid. But I don't think they're good enough to good enough or consistent enough to do it. So I think it's kind of a moot deal.
0: But I it would take a lot. I agree. Down. I agree with Rippey's point. They, they, if they, they, there's enough time. If they won five five in a row, somehow. Yeah, they're not going to win five in a row. Well, that's that's what Rippey's saying, though. They're not going to win five in a row. But the, there's definitely time for them to put together a run, but they're just not good enough to do it.
3: That 70's just, I mean, well, 69, is just so hard to overcome. Hey, be, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> We almost got through it.
0: Carry on. You've uh, you, I mean, gotta, finish your, you yeah. gotta finish your thought, man. There are
3: five yeah. children between the two of you, two. <laughs> you have They're, five between kids
0: the, between the two of you, and that but, makes you laugh. Think about that for a second. Well, I, the, be, between I don't have my any kids. Chi- between my two children and me, that's three children. Okay.
3: <laughs> uh, but I mean, there are only thirty six teams that make the tournament in an at-large fashion. yeah. No, I, I, I'm with Rippy, though. I don't think Arkansas has got it in them to do that. Yeah, so the original point, withstanding, it stops at Alabama for teams that actually conceivably you can look at that team and think they are okay. going or have I, a shot to get to the tournament.
4: All I right. think that 36 is going to feel bigger, though, with how bad the Pac-12 is.
3: It's horrendous, yeah
2: they, they well, a league? League. yeah they might be a, they're very likely to be a one bid league the pac 12 and the MEAC will have the same number of teams in the NCAA tournament conference of champions uh okay so Tennessee is a lock Kentucky is a lock LSU is a lock yes yeah they'll make it all right yeah. what about Auburn <laughs> Auburn has felt like a lock since before we tipped the season off. And now you kind of got some question marks when you look at Auburn.
0: They got to get Austin Wiley back. Once he comes back and they have a little bit more presence inside to go with that ridiculous three point shooting game they have, they'll be fine. But they got to get him back. Once they're healthy, though, they're a tournament team. There's no question in my mind.
2: Auburn has three consecutive home games, and four of the next five are at Auburn Arena. They got to win all four of them. All four of those home games. Missouri at home, Bama at home, Florida at home, at LSU, and then Ole Miss at home.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
2: Um, and, and you're right, at some point get Austin Wiley back in the mix healthy. So, assuming he becomes healthy again, we believe that Auburn's an NCAA tournament team. Yes. I think we all believe Mississippi State's an NCAA tournament team, yes?
0: I Right now they are, yes.
2: Yeah, I think Auburn is, too. Okay, so that's five, and I think you can probably draw the line right there and go. Okay, this these are the five that are in. After that, you start going. All right, who else? Ole Miss is next in the net. They're at thirty six in the net right now. Boy, it'd be it'd be a hard question to answer. Is Ole Miss an NCAA tournament team? They can. If you yeah. had to answer that question, if they were picking the field today, would Ole Miss be in the field of
3: 68? Today, yes.
4: yes. Yeah, sure, today, but March, different
2: story. I, I understand that.
3: It's a very important week for
2: them. Oh, I, think gonna okay. so. I think they're going to
0: be okay. I think they're going to get in.
2: I think it's going to be really close. Like, real close. Like... and in the league and probably need to win two in Nashville at the SEC tournament? I don't know necessarily about two because it depends on who you beat.
4: But I don't think they're going to go into Nashville with a free swing at anything
2: Hmm. and feel comfortable. Let's continue this conversation next because we turn the calendar to February in three days, two days. This conversation is getting close to being really real. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. All right, it feels like we're in the mode of yes, 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 yes. yes. The NCAA tournament. Kind of asking the question two different ways. If you projected the field right now, who would be in? If you're projecting the remainder of the season to final records, who would be in from the SEC? Last year, the league got eight teams in, which was an all-time record. So far, we are yes on Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State. Hey, Dad said yes on Ole Miss. Rippy was that. a he's a rebel.
0: <laughs>
2: Rippy was a a soft, maybe yes.
4: Honestly, if you're asking me to put a percentage on it at this moment, I would literally probably put fifty fifty.
2: Okay. What are the questions? that need to be answered about Ole Miss for you to tip that in the scales of affirmative.
4: How much are they going to get from the two freshmen that have seemingly hit a little bit of a wall? And is Bruce Stevens going to play better? Because if he continues playing the way he's played the last, what, week and a half? Is that fair? Fair enough. Week, at least. I don't know. Post-Arkansas. I don't know how much of a chance they have. Because they're too thin to overcome that. Like you, you, you can't have but in the both of those things. Like the the freshman kind of hitting the wall and and struggling a little bit and seeming like just kind of treading water, and then Bruce not being good. They're they're not deep enough to
2: overcome that. Borky, are you thumbs up or thumbs down on Ole
3: Miss into the tournament? Um, currently down. I, I mean, th- this is a really important week for them because they haven't looked the same. Uh, the last couple of games, even really against Arkansas, which was an impressive win. it just They were so, to start league play, incredibly efficient offensively. They made little mistakes. The passing was good. They made open looks when they had them. They were very efficient. And that efficiency, for whatever reason, has kind of gone down the tubes over the last couple of weeks. If they don't get that back, they're not making the tournament. Uh, I mean, they can play as hard as they want, and Bruce Stevens can can actually give effort this week, and, and it won't matter. That's why tomorrow is so important for them. If they, if they come out and show that they can settle down and be efficient again offensively, then yes, they'll make the tournament. But until they, they have that turnaround and go back to looking the way they did when they beat Auburn and Mississippi State and through the, non, and through the non-league, there's no reason to think that they're going to close well. So this yeah. is a huge week for them.
2: So, hey, Dad, that leaves two teams that you kind of raise your eyebrows about. Florida who interestingly the metrics love Florida yeah they're at 38 in the net despite being 11 and eight this year
0: yeah well you said it you just said it a few minutes ago sometimes it's getting the right 17 wins yeah and Florida looks like that's what they're doing and in Florida's case it's not maybe not even the right wins it's the right losses they have lost to good teams and you know they're being rewarded for playing a tough schedule
2: yeah the losses this year for Florida, Florida State to open the season, Oklahoma in the Bahamas, Butler in the Bahamas, Michigan State at home, that was a four-point loss, certainly not a loss that hurt them, South Carolina at home, that's not one that helps you, Uh, Tennessee at home, Mississippi State on the road, and TCU on the road. Yeah. TCU is a top thirty team in the net, so it doesn't really hurt you all that much. Yeah. At some point, though, they got to win some games.
0: Right, they're gonna to have to. They're gonna have to. You can find have a way. bunch of
2: good losses, but eventually, you have to win games.
0: What's what's their conference record? Three and three. So they need if they can get to nine and nine, they would probably be in with 17. Six,
2: and six over the next twelve. Yeah, for the Florida Gators and then Alabama.
0: They got to win a couple games. If they a win tonight would be big for Alabama's chances. I think
2: Alabama currently at forty. Where are they? 46, 43 in the net, and they're projected to win this game tonight. Uh, Ken Palm projects Alabama to go nine and nine in the SEC and eighteen and thirteen overall. They have one terrible loss on their schedule. Actually, they have two. They have a loss to Northeastern, which is not as bad as you would think. They have a loss to Georgia State. They got a loss to UCF. A road loss to LSU, a home loss to Texas A&M, a road loss to Tennessee, and a road loss to Baylor. Same scenario as Florida. It's not that anything on their resume is killing them, other than the fact they just don't have enough wins yet.
0: Yeah. That loss to Georgia State's not a great one, but... Other than that, they just got if they start winning games, they're going to be all right.
2: Yeah. So you think seven this year get in?
0: Yeah, I believe so, yeah.
2: With Alabama on the outside looking in.
0: It's going to be it's going to be tight for Alabama.
2: So you so you think Ole Miss and then either Florida or Alabama for the last spot.
0: That that would be a fair assessment, yeah.
2: I can get on board with that. Man, how much fun would mid-March be? had two teams from the state of mississippi in the ncaa tournament first time since 2002 wow 17 years wow all right we got more coming up with you at sports talk mississippi in the renaissance bank studio we'll talk some baseball next with eric Sorensen from d1baseball.com in the renaissance bank studio that will be on the farm bureau phone line sit tight Sports Talk Mississippi, Tuesday afternoon. Two weeks from this Friday, the college baseball season begins. Yes, I know it's a little hard to believe. You had the prediction of snow last night. You didn't get it. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Farm Bureau is the home team. A guy who does have snow outside of his window, Eric Sorensen, D1 Baseball. You can follow him on Twitter at stitch underscore head. Telluride, Colorado. Really?
1: Yeah, Rich. First off, I'm really, I, I'm really geeked to come on and talk college baseball. I was not expecting this this early. I should have, I should have known Mississippi fans would have been ready to talk college baseball. I'm, uh, I'm uh, like a little schoolgirl here today, but yeah, I'm in Telluride, taking a little break from my preview riding to do some skiing, and uh, and yes, there is snow right outside of my car door as I look at it right now.
2: I, I don't know if you know this or not. But July 25th through the 28th, they have the SWWBC Mountain Classic Baseball Tournament in Telluride. It is a wood bat classic for ages 9 through
1: 18. I've actually been here in the summer, and I've seen that they have a, a really nice baseball field on the far side of the town. And I was like, God, whatever these kids are, whoever these kids are that get to play baseball with this, with this kind of scenery, this is a beauty. Great field, from what I saw, and, and yeah, you can't you can beat it for a uh, for a summer night or for summer afternoon, even summer evening. That's awesome. I like that.
2: Hey, how good of a skier are you?
1: Not, I'm, I'm not as good as I used to be because I'm getting old. But uh, you know, I'm still I, I still do a little bit of expert skiing, but I do I do have a fall web every now and again though. So yeah, I'm I'm decent though.
2: And and no snowboarding?
1: Uh, no, I'm kind of old school actually. I'm an old school Scandinavian kid, I guess. Uh, my father insisted <laughs> we skied, so that's kinda I, I haven't done the snowboarding thing before. I always kinda thought it was like maybe a bit too easy because I was always a skateboarder as a kid. So I thought, eh, it just seems too easy. I'm gonna stick with the with the old school stuff.
2: You look a little Scandinavian. That's uh, that's fair. All right, let's do uh, let's do this college baseball thing. Uh, you know, everybody's poll has come out at, at this point, and everybody uh, has either LSU one Vanderbilt two or Vanderbilt one LSU two. Have all of these polls gotten it right with some combination of those two as the best two teams in the country? Oh,
1: I don't think so. I mean, I think we'll probably find out soon enough, or you know, a few weeks in. That there's somebody's going to emerge, and so you know, it always kind of happens that way. I think a lot of us uh, pundits just kind of look at returning players, they look at our incoming recruiting classes. And we don't do, you know, we don't, you know, take into effect things like, you know, players' hearts or the team's unity and that kind of stuff. But I actually had in my Athlon Sports for Athlon's magazine, they had me do a top twenty-five. I had, I did have Vanderbilt number one, I think, just because of so much talent that's going to be end up in the pros sometime soon. I think they got a lot, like ten or eleven guys that are going to end up in the big leagues. And I didn't have LSU number two. I had my alma mater down at number seven. I just kind of looked at them when I saw them last year. I saw them twice. Uh, Once at South Carolina, they got drummed in their first two games there, and I saw them against Oregon State in the postseason, and they got drummed there, and I kept thinking to myself, okay, I know, there's a lot of players coming back from injury. Josh Smith, the stop being the the biggest of them all, but their their pitchers just could not throw strikes a lot last year when they needed to. If they do that, though, if they start getting under control of Zach Heff and those guys – start getting under control and start throwing strikes a bit more they've definitely got a chance to be uh in omaha on the second weekend in oman and that's for sure but right now i've got oh she down about number seven or so but i do have vanderbilt at number one both those teams a lot of pro players coming up and i think that's why people had them one and two uh going into this season
2: eric do you believe in zach hess at lsu as a front of the rotation starter
1: no, nah, I'm still not sold on it, Rich. I, I, I've, uh, and again, it's it's just from experience and from seeing him. It's not from potential. Uh, obviously, He's, he uh, apparently threw better in the summer. I just I haven't been sold on him yet. He's got amazing upside. And he's going you know, he throws the he throws the pitches like near 100 miles an hour, and I, you know, that's that's uh, especially when he was coming out of the pen as a freshman. I mean, that always just kind of, you know, it, it lit up the scouts' eyes. But yeah, he, until he kind of gets it all together, which you know, you obviously, as if, if an LSU fan, you hope he does put it all together this year. But he's got monstrous potential, but he's just not there yet. So I'm not completely sold on him until I see it. And uh, and again, I think it might it might come around this year, but well, I'm going to. It's kind of a wait and see attitude for me with uh,
2: with Zach S. All right, let's pull it back to the state of Mississippi. Um, sure. We might hold Southern Miss for another day, although I do want to ask you about Matt Walder. I know you've seen him and oh, yeah. a utility guy that that Scott Barry says is going to be in the rotation, but we know he's going to be in center field. We know he can hit. We know he's probably going to be a first round draft pick. Yeah. Can he? Carry this team to the postseason.
1: I don't think he necessarily he can, but I don't think he necessarily needs to. Rich, I just I liked what I saw of Southern Miss. I mean, put it this way: yeah, they're going to lose Nick Sandlin, their All American pitcher, and was Luke uh, Luke Reynolds, their the the Conference USA Player of the Year. I just thought they had – I still thought they had decent talent up and down the lineup. Now, Matt Walner being who he is, and I forgot, actually, forgot that, yeah, he's going to be in the rotation this year. That'll be really interesting to watch. But just, you know, the player that he is, he's he's got such a presence to him, and every time he gets up to the plate – you know, the other team's going to take a big gulp just thinking, oh, boy, you know, this, this ball could go over the scoreboard. And, and he's, he's going to be an, one of the interesting players to watch this year going into the rotation and playing uh, you know, with all the expectations. But I still thought Southern Miss had decent talent around him as well. And, uh, again, they lose those two big players. But after that, they've got a lot of guys coming back, and they've got experience yeah. in the postseason, obviously. So, yeah, I think they're a team to watch. I'm glad you brought them up today because I really do like them. I didn't have them in my top 25, but they're right on the outside. Side of it, if you ask me, and they've got potential to play in Omaha as well.
0: Hey, Eric's it's Brian Haydad here. For Mississippi State, yep. what's the biggest question mark for them to, to make another run back to Omaha?
1: Well, well, obviously, it probably comes down to the pitching. You know, you, you lose of Pilkington and, and Jacob Billingsley, those guys uh, both drafted. I think that's the biggest thing. You also kind of wonder is the is the is this Mississippi State team gonna relive the magic that they had in the postseason last year, or the kind of ordinary team that they seemed to play at, at times last year? You know, during the regular season, they sure seemed to to you know maybe it was the magic banana, I guess, whatever it was. They sure seemed to glob onto something after Elijah McNamee hit that home run to beat Florida State, and they were a riot to follow. I loved watching Mississippi State play last year. So yeah, I think it's, but it is going to come down to who the pit, you know, if the pitching comes around. I and I know it's it's a weird season because you got Chris Lamonis, the new head coach there, kind of a carpet bagger comes down from from the north and and uh, doesn't have any huge background in Mississippi State. He's the new head coach. That got, you guys got your new stadium there, obviously, uh, which I can't wait to see at some point. So there's a lot of variables that go into Mississippi State season. But they certainly have enough to make it. You know, we saw it last. We saw it last June. They have enough to make it uh, to make it interesting, make it fun. That the pitching staff's got to come around. Them. That's that's going to be if they have some guys step up. Um, that's going to be the big key for them. And, and obviously, they're going to have a lot of talent. But man, they've got to produce, and they got to produce. Uh, you know, pretty quick. They're going to have a they're going to have a big uh, spotlight on them this year.
2: Eric Sorensen on your radio. He writes at D1 Baseball. He writes for Athlon's Preview Magazine. You can find him on Twitter at Stitch underscore Head. That is his uh, Twitter name. So what about Ole Miss? Bunch of guys coming back, lose all three starters in the rotation, so the weekend rotation is going to look entirely different. It's a team that was wildly talented a year ago and then flamed out in a regional against Tennessee Tech, and we didn't get to see you know if they got to Omaha, what they could do when they got there. Yeah. Well, that's 2019 version.
1: Well, I tell you what, Rich. The first thing I wrote in my preview with the uh, app is this could be the best offensive in the country, and and that's certainly true. It was it like seven starters coming back? A lot of good talent from that. The, the 2016 recruiting class was the best in the country. And in, in in some polls, and the other the other team, Arizona State had the other some other polls had them at number one. So I thought Arizona State and Ole Miss are the two teams I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do this year. And you're right, Rich. You lose your rotation normally. Normally, that's going to be something that really holds you back, and it's going to make the people you know not rank you in the top 25 normally. But Mitsubishi State has a lot of talent and. And again, that recruiting class is really going to step up this year. I think is is, is going to be the big thing. And they still got some. They still got some good pitches on the mound. Will Etheridge is apparently going to become a big stud. Uh, the Friday stud, I should say, for this season. Parker Kuratsun is still there as the, the as the saves a. Uh, who is? Oh, uh, Houston Roth and Jordan Fowler. Kind of some younger guys are going to move into into bigger roles this year. So I still think. Despite the losses on the mound, I still think that Ole Miss is going to put it together together on the mound enough. And, uh, you know, because Mike Bianco, again, he's just stockpiled some good recruits the last few years. Kind of like Vanderbilt. They're just kind of like a lot of good recruits. Kind of a little bit on the rough side, and and I think they're going to set up this year. So that's what I've got with Ole Miss. I've got them. I have them at number 11 in my rankings, which is the same from uh, collegiate baseball. But, again, that offense is going to be able to carry and It's contagious. So I think they've got a shot to be an Omaha team once again, despite some losses.
2: Eric, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time with us this afternoon. So it's 2-15 sure, where you are. How many how many more runs have you got in you today?
1: I'm just getting here. So I've got five days ahead of me, actually. So I'm all, I'm all geeked about that, too. But, again, I couldn't be more excited if you guys had me on. I'm looking forward to uh, – coming out there this year and seeing the two the, the three teams in the that
2: could play this year alright thanks Z we'll talk to you soon bud you got it man it's Eric Sorensen Stitch underscore head on Twitter a little dose of college baseball on this Tuesday
0: baseball
2: America rolled out its Preseason All-Americans. First team, second team, and third team. Sports Talk Mississippi. You can text the show 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. The C Spire text line. C Spire reminds you not to text and drive. C Spire, customer inspired. Um, First team All-Americans. And by the way, You have one representative from Southern Miss, one representative from Mississippi State, and one representative from Ole Miss on the All-American teams. First team, the catcher, Adley Rutschman from Oregon State, certainly deserving. Andrew Vaughn from Cal at first base, probably never heard of him. Chase Strump from UCLA at second. Uh, Josh Young at uh, Texas Tech is the third baseman. Logan Davidson from Clemson is the shortstop. I'm not going to give you every position player. I'll give you the guys from the SEC. In the outfield, on the first team, J.J. Bleday of Vanderbilt. And the utility player is Matt Walner from Southern Miss. They've got him listed as a pitcher and also as a hitter. Last year, 16 home runs, 67 driven in. Two SEC pitchers in the rotation for first-team All-American. Tyler Dyson at Florida. Zach Thompson at Kentucky. And then again, you got Matt Walner from Southern Miss as the utility player. Oh, and also Matt Cronin is the relief pitcher from Arkansas. All right, second team. uh, SEC guys. Noah Campbell from South Carolina at second base. Dominic Fletcher from Arkansas on the outfield. Took him a while to come on last year but finished hitting 288 with 10 home runs and 49 runs batted in. Cameron Meisner from Missouri is an outfielder. JT Ginn from Mississippi State, utility player. And then on the third team, Will Dalton, an outfielder from Florida. Heston Kerstad, an outfielder from Arkansas. Aaron Schunk, utility player, goes both ways for Georgia. Zach Hess is a starting pitcher from LSU and Parker Caracy a relief pitcher for Ole Miss. What do you think, hey Dad?
0: I got an issue with these. Actually I really have I maybe two, but one is okay. one is really glaring to me. Uh JT Ginn, I mean, I get it. First round pick. Uh, you know, coming to college, you don't see that very often. You should have high expectations for him. I got no issues with him, but you're going to sit there with a straight face and try to convince me we're going to take nine outfielders in this and not put Jake Mangum on there? I'm not going to buy that from anybody for one second of my life. Not at all. That's that that, okay. that is unbelievable to me that he's not on that he's not on the first, second, or third team.
2: Um. So the outfielders on the first team, JJ Blade from Vanderbilt, he hit 368 with four home runs and 15 runs batted in. Michael Bush from North Carolina, I don't think you can argue with him. 317, 13 bombs, 63 driven in. Kyle Stowers at Stanford, he also had good numbers. I would put Mangum ahead of Blade out of the first three guys there. Um, I lean Mangum over Dominic Fletcher, although his entire body works pretty good. Uh, I would put Mangum in front of Cameron Meisner at Missouri. Packard, uh, Bryant Packard at East Carolina, who hit four hundred six with fourteen home runs and fifty runs batted in. I'm good with him being there. Yeah,
0: I don't have an issue with that.
2: And then the uh, the third team guys. I mean, Will Dalton from Florida, nineteen home runs and sixty runs batted in. Some of those guys we just named, he should be above. Yeah. Heston Kerstad, last year as a freshman at Arkansas, hit three thirty two with 14 home runs and 58 runs batted in. And then Will Robertson from Creighton. So what do you think's holding Mangum back from being a first-team, second-team, or third-team guy? Is it the fact that there are no power numbers?
0: Uh, that, that, that's got to be it, right? I mean, everything else is there. He, he's definitely hitting for power. He gives you speed. He's great defensively. And he's also, you know... A, I mean, he's gonna be. He, he has a great chance to be the SEC's all-time leading hitter when this season is over with. So yeah, I mean, he hit 351 last year, three home runs, 33 RBI, stole 14 bases. I mean, I, you know, the, the triple slash of, of 351, 434, 471, OPS was 913. I I don't know what you're what you're missing here with Jake Mangum, how he's not one of the top nine guys. And then the other guy that, that you know, this is a much slighter issue to me, but y'all, y'all were just talking about Zach Hess, and there's a lot of questions about him. To me, Ethan Small had a much finer season last year than Zach Hess did, So, and he's at the front of the, you know, the rotation for Mississippi State. You know, he, to me, would be there ahead of Hess.
2: Wait, was was Hess on one of those teams? Did I just yeah. call
0: his name? I, I don't know if you did or not, but he was third-team uh, third All-American on this
2: uh you're right zach Hess would not have him as one of the top three i wouldn't have ethan small there either mm-hmm. but zach Hess would not be a third team preseason all-american if i was filling out the poll
0: if i got a pick between those two guys i would go small why just i think he was a little bit more consistent last year i think you know especially towards the end of the season where he really took over as that number one starter he pitched really really well i mean you look at the uh the game he pitched against uh, Oregon State. I mean, he had a he had a rough start, and then he completely shut them down for the rest of the way. And of course, he pitched a great game against Washington in the opener of the College World Series. He he was very strong at the end of the season last year.
2: Ethan Small a, went five and four last year, and I know win loss record doesn't always matter. Three right. two oh the ERA, hundred and one innings, hundred twenty two strikeouts, thirty three walks. Um,
0: yeah, hey, that five and four. I mean, you think about the beginning of the season last year for Mississippi State when they couldn't get anything going. In reality, you know, by the way was pitching, the way the team was playing at the end of the year affected that a lot.
2: Ethan Small's numbers were better than Hess's numbers from a year ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. But Mangum, that's a that's a big oversight to me.
2: Hit three fifty one last season with three home runs. Yeah, he goes four oh eight as a freshman, three twenty four as a sophomore, three fifty one this year, or I'm sorry, last year. And just has been a hit machine yeah. you know for his entire three years. I wonder I wonder if the reason he's not on that team and I, and I know we talked about the power numbers. But I wonder if we look at him differently because we watch him play and keep up with every single game that Mississippi State plays, whereas national guys that are putting these teams together are looking at draft potential and pro prospects and larger body of work.
0: Well, I mean, that, that could be the case, but I mean, larger body of work. My goodness, who has a larger body of work than what Jake Mangum has done in three years at, at Mississippi State? He's been... And on all American, he hit four hundred as a freshman. He's you know he's won an SEC championship. He's taken a team to the College World Series. He's also a great
3: pro- grandfather. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <that's true. laughs> well played.
0: But, that's a good one. But but that and then you know you talk about pro potential. For me, college all American teams those aren't about pro potential. I mean that's what draft are for. So I don't know the, the reason. This is, I mean, it's, it's one that sometimes you can, you can just find something that, okay, he doesn't do this well, and that's probably it. And maybe, like we said, maybe it is the power numbers. But, but for me, Jake Mangum, just on college baseball, not, not talking about pro potential, just as college baseball, I don't know that there are 20 players in the country that I would take ahead of Jake Mangum to start a team.
2: Hmm. Are there 20 players ahead of Jake Mangum that you would take to start a team? I I don't know the answer. There might be 20 players that I would take ahead of him to start a team. But if he was in the group of next 20 players, I wouldn't be excited about facing him when I had to play him.
0: Yeah. If you haven't already, by the way, if you're listening now... I would suggest go to Supertalk.fm and find my article I wrote about Jake uh, this past weekend and the the quote that he gave about what it means for him to play this final season at Mississippi State. I I don't know if you had a chance to check it out yet, Richard. But I mean, you've interviewed athletes before, and you're lucky if you get anything from them sometimes. You know, they're just a lot of times they're just an extension of the coach, or they just they just want to get out there. And I thought Jake gave a very thoughtful and sort of a insightful look into himself and what what is motivating him uh, this final season in Starville. So if you, if you haven't had a chance yet, go to supertalk.fm and you can find that article.
2: I, I will agree with you in the fact that uh, I think he's one of, the, um, one of the best players that we've had on the show from an interview standpoint, just to be able to talk yeah. to him. Because he's really bright. Uh, he is insightful. He, he doesn't just talk in player sound bites. He's got some personality. I'll tell you two other Mississippi State players that I loved visiting with a couple of years ago. Brent Rooker and um, uh, yeah. and Ryan Gridley.
0: Oh, great. I mean, there's, been, great interviews. There, sure. there's been
2: a run of guys that really, really good. And you get that, I think, more with baseball players. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, they seem to kind of open up a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes you don't get that at all, but uh, we'll see. All right, guys. All right, so you headed more. to Tuscaloosa?
0: I'm out. See you tomorrow.
2: Be, be safe. Yes. Ryan Haydad is eastbound and down in a matter of moments. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad has left the building. He is en route to Tuscaloosa, Mississippi State, and Alabama. Coming up tonight at 7.30. If you uh, you want to watch that game, it's on the SEC Network. One of four games tonight in the SEC 530 Central Time, number one Tennessee at South Carolina on the SEC network. Colonial Life Arena is sold out with number one in town. So they will be 18,000 strong for that ballgame. Georgia is at Arkansas. Six o'clock tip off on ESPNU. Again, Mississippi State and Alabama tips at 730 on the SEC network. And on ESPN tonight at eight o'clock, number seven Kentucky is at Vanderbilt. Mississippi State, by the way, at number 22 in the country going into that game tonight against the Crimson Tide. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, actually if you've got any financing needs, then Mississippi Land Bank is here to help. It's what they do. They've been financing land and all the stuff that's related to the land, related to the farm, for over a hundred years. So, if it's equipment loan or, or an equipment or equipment loans that you need, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Crop loans, need to refinance an existing loan? Yeah, Mississippi Land Bank can do that as well. And of course, if you're trying to buy new property, Mississippi Land Bank—it's what they do. Website is MSLandBank.com. You go there, you can see that they've got locations in Senatobia, Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. They are spread out all over North Mississippi. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You can text us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Or you can tweet the show at Sports Talk, M-I-S-S. Had some debate earlier about the Baseball All-America teams that were um, put out by Baseball America, top three teams. Hey Dad took great exception to the fact that Jake Mangum was not on one of the first three All-America teams. A couple of responses to that idea. Baseball America's credibility left with Aaron Fitt. He's been at D1 Baseball for a couple of times. Will says, no Mangum removes all doubt, scouts or no scouts. And Teddy Cahill tweeted, I guess a while back, Baseball America Preseason All-Americans as voted on by MLB scouting directors. So that is important to know. Who is it that puts it together? Well, if it's scouting directors, then they're probably looking at players that... Project well to big league baseball. That's how Baseball America puts together its All-America teams for the preseason. And Jake Mangum, despite being a wildly successful college baseball player, remains to be seen how he translates to the next level. I think... Okay, this this is... I mean, let me be careful how I say this. Obviously, Jake Mangum, if you've spent any time around him, you know winning is more important to him than anything else. But he has moved to the point where he's got a a career in front of him. And to kind of push himself up draft boards a little bit, I think power numbers are going to be important. And he hit a few more home runs at the end of last season, something that he's not done in his career. I remember a conversation we had with John Cohen last year where I asked him if he thought there was... A little more in the tank from a power perspective. And he said absolutely. He thinks that Jake Mangum does have power potential there. You saw it at the end of the year a little bit more, but that his value getting on base, hitting doubles, has been what Mississippi State's needed for the last couple of years. So um, we'll see.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't say that to say you can't. Like he doesn't have a pro career in front of him. But like when it's voted on by MLB scouting directors, they're going to look at things much differently than just simply the best players in college baseball. Like their viewpoints on what makes players good and what they value more is probably different than people that watch college baseball.
3: Yeah.
2: There is, regardless of Major League Baseball being a place where it's all about power, power, power. How many home runs do you hit? How many runs do you drive in? There's still a place in the big leagues for just baseball players, right? I mean, guys that are going to get on base, that are going to get hit the ball into the gaps, guys that can defend well. That may not be the, the sexy thing that fans get super excited about when you draft a guy or when a guy gets called up. But look, for example, at Brett Gardner for the Yankees. I mean, he's hit some home runs. But with Gardner, it kind of does all the other things. Is that a good example or no? Maybe an extreme example would be Billy Hamilton. Yeah, but he's like the fastest guy on the planet. So do you that, do, do, you w- do, w- do something where, better than everybody else? He does.
4: Well, sure, but in a world where baseball has become more station to station baseball, like as he, if you'll watch as he's gotten to the big leagues, particularly last year, the stolen bases dropped, and he kept his starting job essentially for most of the year because he made defensive plays that no one else in their outfield could make.
2: Yeah, you think that skill sets there with Mangum.
4: A really good defensive no, defensively. Outfielder. Sure, I don't know about that speed because that speed, like oh, Billy
2: Hamilton's in yeah. a different place from a speed standpoint than anybody in the game.
4: But sure, I mean you could become a really, really good defensive outfielder.
2: Yeah. Uh, text message from the six hundred one says Adam Frazier would be an example as well. That's fair. He's gotten to the big leagues and has played well when he's had the chance. All right, time for the college football fix. It's driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Best-selling trucks in America for 43 consecutive years. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Martin Simmons wrote this story for CBS Sports. And his argument is that the transfer portal, specifically as it relates to quarterbacks in college football, will actually make the sport better. How about this? Aside from the opponents of Oklahoma and Ohio State, who loses in these scenarios? Talking about the transfers of um, Tate Martell leaving Ohio State, going to Miami, Justin Fields going from Georgia to Ohio State, Oklahoma uh, picking up a transfer quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Who would rather see Fields taking a few situational snaps behind Fromm with the Bulldogs instead of spreading his wings on a playoff contender? Who is disappointed to find out whether Sooners coach Lincoln Riley can turn his third straight flawed NFL prospect into a possible third straight Heisman Trophy winner? So on the surface, what do you think about that? Is the transfer portal and the new rash of transfers in college football actually good for the game?
3: When you look at it that way, the answer is yes, right? Because more high-level, incredibly talented quarterbacks getting an opportunity to play is better because college football generally, I think, lacks in quality quarterback play. Richard, you mentioned it a few times during uh, this past football season that Watching the NFL run two-minute drills versus college, it's like a completely different sport. College misses good, experienced quarterback play, so the more chances we get to have the elite of the elite quarterbacks spread out is good for the sport. However, I think in this column that he writes, he does leave out the idea that if the transfer rules become as relaxed as I think they're going to be. And I guess he, he didn't write for the future, but if it becomes basically open season, I think that will end up having a residual negative effect on college football. So on one hand, yeah, elite quarterbacks playing in a lot of places is good for the sport, but on the other, having free transfers everywhere without penalty, I think is going to really hurt the sport and eventually hurt the smaller programs.
4: Why do you think it'll hurt the smaller programs, though? Because generally these guys aren't going from blue blood to blue blood.
3: Right. And I think places like Ole Miss and Mississippi State can really benefit if they have open season. I'm talking about like Ball State, for example. Their senior quarterback is transferring to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt needs a quarterback. Their 6'5", 235-pound quarterback left before his senior year. So those programs, I think, will hurt because they'll just get picked clean when they develop these under-the-radar prospects that they got because nobody else wanted, and they'll be left with nothing.
4: You're seeing that in college hoops now a lot. The grad transfer to mid-major going to a bigger school for his last year, and it's
2: hurting them. Hmm. More coming up with you. That's your college football fix. Quick nugget there. Driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. So I'm just catching this story. So the halftime act at the Super Bowl this year is... Maroon 5. Um, The lead guy for Maroon 5 is... Oh, what's his name? Adam something? Levine. Adam Levine. So apparently the NFL announced today that Maroon 5 will not be taking place... uh, will not be taking part in the traditional Halftime Act press conference. And this is really important to some people, that whoever is performing at halftime of the Super Bowl sit down in front of cameras and take questions early in the week. You may remember a couple of past press conference performances. Um, Beyonce, it had been questioned as to whether or not she would lip-sync or whether or not she actually had the ability to sing the national anthem. She walked to the mic and just dropped an a cappella version of the national anthem for the media and then walked off. Prince just performed a song for the media. Didn't take any questions. Uh, Last year, Justin Timberlake took about 20 minutes worth of questions. The NFL statement was Maroon 5 has been working hard on a Pepsi Super Bowl 53 halftime show that will meet and exceed the standards of this event. As it is about music, the artists will let their show do the talking As they prepare to take the stage this Sunday, starting with the halftime show announcement, we began a process, blah, 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 blah. Bottom line, not showing up for the press conference. People on Twitter have said some acts have been criticized for accepting the halftime show assignment. There was one response on Twitter that said, basically they don't want Maroon 5 to be asked why they didn't decline the halftime performance because of the NFL blackball Kaepernick. We don't want you asking difficult questions about racial and social injustice, etc., etc. People care about this?
3: Apparently so.
4: No, this seems like the classic, like, 20 people angry on Twitter about something so it becomes a story, but no one actually cares.
3: Yeah, and when did what random people say on Twitter become news? I'm talking about, like, news organizations like Newspapers in big cities and Fox and CNN and NBC on their websites will have this event happened Twitter reacted and they will just embed like 10 tweets from random idiots on Twitter that were mad about the situation and they call it a news story like this guy
2: that feels exactly what this is though this guy Tyler whose name on Twitter is whodat Tyler dude I'm glad the at NFL. Comes out and has a statement regarding a press conference for the halftime show, but won't say anything about the NFC <laughs> championship game. All caps, by the way, that's why I yelled. Fair enough. Um Maroon Five cancels pre Super Bowl press conference. My first thought. They now get to avoid inevitable Kaepernick questions. Here's my is anybody still asking questions about Colin Kaepernick? Yes. To who? Maroon
3: Anyone five. that they can ask. Yeah, Maroon Five. Why is that still a story? I don't know. I, I think, truthfully, I think sports media, because if they want to keep their jobs, they can't themselves inject political opinion into things. Here's a great example. Uh, I think it was a TV station in Boston ran a story last week how the guy that played Frodo, or was it Harry Potter, Daniel Ratcliffe, which one does he play? The actor. Okay, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm going to have to get back to you on that. Uh, he's either Frodo or he's either Harry Potter. But the guy that plays... Sure Harry Potter. Uh, so Harry Potter uh, is apparently cheering for the Rams because the owner of the Patriots has ties to Donald Trump. And that was a news story. Seriously. And I think it's because the writers, sports writers, have political opinions but know they can't give them. So they jump on small things like that and use other people's opinions to voice their own. Because that's not a story. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Harry Potter is cheering for the Rams because Trump. Like, honestly, nobody at all cares. At all. But the writer has a political opinion they wanted to inject, and therefore they wrote that kind of a story. I think that's what's happening here. What
2: what if Adam Levine got up there, representing Maroon 5, and was asked, uh, why did you agree to play the Super Bowl halftime? And he said, um, <clears throat> because 300 million people worldwide watch it. Well, but what about Colin Car Ka- I'm sorry, did you 300 million people globally watch the Super Bowl halftime show? Yeah, but, no, I, I, I'm sorry, 130 million in the United States watch and another 270 million globally. I'm sorry, 170 million globally. Watch the show. That that's why we're doing this. It's the biggest opportunity of our careers. Yeah, but the the co- are you dense? Clearly the answer is
3: yes. Well, social media has caused everybody Rippy.
2: Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Borky. No, I, was, m- I was laughing at Rippy because he was sitting there with a smirk like something was about to come out of his mouth, but he couldn't quite pull
3: the trigger on it. He <laughs> should have. I've got a I delay just... button. If, if if it's only six seconds long, I can get rid of it for you.
4: I mean, not that it matters at all, but Wizard Guy is really going to be in a pretzel when he realized both owners in the Super Bowl donated to Donald Trump's campaign. Not that that matters at all, but like... <laughs> You're going to take one stance because the other guy has ties to Trump,
2: but you're not going to Google the other guy. <laughs> this called Daniel Radcliffe, wizard guy. <laughs> <Whatever>. I like
3: <laughs> it. <laughs> but that's the point. It, social media has driven companies, news organizations, to think that the masses are outraged or have the same thought because a few people at them negatively on Twitter. Twitter is not a gauge for popularity or opinions or anything. Most people don't really care one way or the other.
2: Wouldn't it be something if an NFL owner came out and said, oh, no, there's no blackball in place. uh, We're all billionaires, and we kind of think the same way. If you can do something to help our team, then we'll put up with a lot. But if you're just going to be a backup, which is all we think Kaepernick's good enough to be right now, then we're probably not going to put up with a sideshow that goes along with signing a player, whether it's Kaepernick or Tebow or somebody else. So, no, we didn't sit down and have a meeting and talk uh, talk about this, and I can only speak for myself, but my guess is that my fellow billionaire owners kind of feel the same way. Yeah, a bunch of... You you put up with a hassle when it's necessary. When it's not necessary, it seems silly To put up with the
3: hassle. Like Jameis Winston. For some reason, they feel like he's worth the hassle. I don't think he is. But Jameis Winston and the things that have happened or that he's done can arguably be considered much worse than anything Kaepernick's done. But he's good enough to be a starting quarterback, so they put up with his garbage.
2: We'll see how much longer. Won't be much longer.
3: Um, So, Borky, the NCAA strikes again, kind of? Yeah, kind of. There's a basketball player in Miami who, uh, his name is Dewan Hernandez, a pretty good player. They expect him to at least make an NBA roster. Uh, has not played at all this year. Uh, he was being held out because of an NCAA investigation into his name appearing on an email that was obtained during the big FBI investigation that said that the plan was from this agent, Christian uh, Dawkins, I think is his name, um, There was a plan that they found, a file that said that they were going to give him $500 a month to to play basketball. Nothing else. No other evidence. Nothing. Zero. Just his name appearing in a plan that they found in this investigation. He has been suspended for the remainder of this year and for 40% of next season, despite his name only appearing in an email and nothing else. That's it. Yet you've had coaches get arrested you've had wiretaps come out you've had high profile players get cleared very quickly by the NCAA despite more evidence against them but in the case of Duan Hernandez, he's missing an entire year of college basketball if he were to stay, he would have to miss 40% of next year for something that seems like it has significantly less backing than the other stuff that has gone completely ignored hmm
2: Deal with it. We will enforce the things that we want to enforce, that we believe are important to enforce. Carry on. Carry on.